Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Carmelite Conversations, where each week we explore Carmelite spirituality and its application to our busy modern lives. We seek, through the teaching of our great saints of Carmel, to understand and to gain an appreciation for deep contemplative prayer and how it fits perfectly appropriately into our modern lives. Once again with me this week, I have Francis Harry as a member, president, in fact, of the local a Carmelite community here in Dayton. Francis, how are you this week? I'm great. On this first day of spring, and it's great to be here with you and the listening audience. You know, we joked to Francis in the first week that we had uh, less than ideal weather. As I recall, we uh, had an ice storm and some snow, and things had been pretty miserable. But today, things seem to have turned around. We were in the 70s today uh, here in Dayton. It's beautiful. Yes, it is. We're expecting a little rain at the end of the week, but uh, nonetheless, for the last, uh, at least today and tomorrow, we anticipate enjoying some decent weather. So we're looking forward to that. We certainly deserve it. It's been an up-and-down winter for us. Well, regardless of what the weather is, it, it all teaches us about God and how we can appreciate Him and, and how He helps us to appreciate the sunshine and the cold, because there's lessons to be learned there as well. Well, great lessons. In fact, our uh, Mother Teresa, Teresa Vavala, who we're going to speak about again this evening, and we're going to go through the way of perfection and some of her a uh, very uh, helpful teaching on prayer that tells us that we should enjoy God in nature, we should seek God in nature, and we should uh, look for the things that he's teaching us through the natural occurrences and natural events, uh, even those that are most difficult. Well, once again, I want to remind folks that you are listening to Carmelite Conversations here on Radio Maria, a Catholic voice in your home. Well, Francis, if I can, as I usually do, can I ask you to begin us this week again with a prayer? Yes, Mark, I've got one picked out. This is from St. Teresa of Avila, the mother of the Discalced Carmelites. And as she teaches us, she always says to start with uh, the sign of the cross and asking the Holy Spirit to come uh, to help us pray well. So let us just uh, cross ourselves now in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come enlighten our minds and hearts and help us to hear what you're speaking to us through this prayer that St. Teresa of Avila prayed to you. O Lord, how true that all harm comes to us from not keeping our eyes fixed on you. If we were to look at nothing else but the way, we would soon arrive. But we meet with a thousand falls and obstacles and lose the way because we don't keep our eyes, as I say, on the true way. It seems so new to us that you would think we had never walked on it. It's certainly something to excite pity, that which sometimes happens. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, and unfortunately, Francis, we'd have to admit that it oftentimes happens. And many of our listeners may be a little taken aback by Teresa's statement there that we lose our way because we don't keep our eyes fixed, and they uh, might argue, many might argue, I certainly would have uh, in my early efforts at prayer. Well, of course I'm fixed on the Lord. I'm it, uh, in a quiet place. I might be in a chapel. I'm on my knees. My eyes are closed. I'm focusing on the Lord. But she says, in fact, we're not. We're distracted either by a multitude of thoughts that we brought into the experience, or worse yet and more subtly, we may be focusing almost exclusively on ourselves in the prayer, and not in the way that people might originally uh, perceive that, but uh, not in a negative way, as in the prayer is all about me. We're we're hopefully beyond that stage, 
But what she's referring to is this idea that the prayer is coming from us to Christ. We're sort of focusing first on our uh, perception, our uh, albeit limited vision, and, and perhaps our desires, but the, the prayer is moving from us to Christ. And what Teresa is going to teach us a little bit this evening as we take uh, uh, selections from her writings in The Way of Perfection is the prayer really must begin with Christ. It must start with Christ and work back to us. Isn't that more what she's trying to demonstrate to us? Yes, I think so. It's sort of like the Our Father prayer. It starts in the Father and ends up with the evil, right? So, um, And it's also interesting that we picked that uh, prayer for tonight because we are in Lent, and as we go through Lent, we know that we have made resolutions, uh, things that we're trying to do to improve our spiritual journey, to, to help us to keep our eyes on Christ. But, but don't we have great hope as we look at the humanity Christ and those falls on the way? Because he gets up. And that's one of the big lessons for us is to, even though we take our eyes off and we fall, is to get back up, put our eyes back on him, and follow him. Well, and one of Teresa's greatest uh, personal experiences, a conversion as she refers to it, was when she began to realize that she could focus on the humanity of Christ. She'd been given uh, some confusing, let's just say uh, politely, counsel with regard to uh, the method of prayer that she was employing uh, and had uh, been told she really shouldn't be focusing on the sacred humanity of Christ. And so she became somewhat distracted and confused by that direction and later discovered, which we'll uh, talk about here uh, this evening, that in fact her focusing on his humanity and moving her prayer from a purely intellectual into an affective where it was really coming from the heart is what helped her break through uh, and get to that next level of prayer and, and uh, provide us with great uh, direction and counsel on how we can improve our own prayer life. I think she, she spoke to that, too, where she was saying, yes, not to think much, but to love much. She was also addressing the problems the men of her time had um, because they were so scholastic. They got caught up in their thoughts and all the, the processes and discernment they're doing that way, and, and they were missing the love. So if your prayer has not got the love in it, then I would look at your prayer again. Yeah, in fact, I uh, have uh, received great counsel myself from a fine spiritual director who I see who often reminds me, let's not get overly concerned about the method. There is certainly a, uh, a guidance and counsel that we can follow with regard to uh, the various stages of prayer and how we can assist ourselves, uh, use of reading and so forth, methods of reflection. But Teresa, I think, would continue to remind us those are means, those are modes of transportation, if you will, through the spiritual life. Don't get hung up on the mode. Don't get stuck on the bus and keep riding in circles. Eventually, uh, you want to get off and stand before the Lord in, in uh, deep emotion and genuine affection and recognizing both his, his divinity and his humanity uh, see the person of Christ, and begin to build that relationship with him. This is how we begin, as Paul counsels us, to take on the mind of Christ, uh, to assume uh, the, the, the personhood of Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is what we're going for. This is what prayer is all about. Prayer is not an end in itself. It is designed to carry us along into a relationship, a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, where we do begin to take on the personhood of Christ. And Teresa would advocate strongly that we focus on his sacred divinity and that we enter into a relationship. In fact, I want to steal if, uh, an early quote from her first chapter of The Way of Perfection as a, 
sort of beginning to this uh, process about what Teresa has to teach us about prayer. She says, and I'm using the Way of Perfection from the uh, International Carmelite uh, ICS Study Edition, and I'll reference the pages if you happen to have this, but I'll also give a chapter and, uh, and paragraph references. This is from Chapter 1, of the second paragraph, page 37, in this particular edition from ICS. All my longing was, and still is, that since he, that is Christ, that since he has so many enemies and so few friends, that these few friends be good friends. And isn't that what Teresa is trying to teach us? And it's unfortunate in our world today, Francis, that we can acknowledge her statement uh, that unfortunately Christ has many enemies uh, in our society today and in uh, the trials and tribulations that we see the modern world facing. And so few friends, and again, this is not to suggest, uh, listeners, that we are not uh, friends of Christ, that we're not seeking that intimacy, uh, but friends in in the sense that we're willing to take on the very life of Christ. We're willing to take on not only his glory, uh, but his suffering and the trials and the tribulations, and to do so in love, to do so not uh, struggling uh, to drag our crosses at times, but genuinely lifting up our crosses in love as he did his own, and in this way, we begin to deepen that understanding of his sacred humanity and enter into that relationship with him. That kind of reminds me of that story where um, she falls off of her horse and into the mud. Do you remember she Great said, yeah. yeah, with friends like this, no wonder you have so few. Yeah, <laughs> you know, this Christ. is how you treat your friends, no, right. matter you, no wonder you have so few. Right. But, uh, of course, we want to share in the troubles and trials of the Lord so that because there's so many lessons there and we want to be like him and with him. And um, But, you know, what you said reminded me of her definition of prayer. I just love, so if you don't mind, I'll read this. Prayer is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. So she's very much into this friendship and this intimate conversation is the prayer. I just think that is so beautiful. It is, and it's exactly what... Uh she talks about in the way. Just a bit of background on the way of perfection. This was commissioned. Uh, uh, Teresa wrote it out of obedience to give instruction to the sisters who were living in the convent who are seeking her guidance and counsel uh, on how to begin to deepen their own prayer life. And this is so important. You know, I, I um, often say to folks who I, I work with in this area, and I'll say, if your prayer life is today what it may have been 10 years ago, um, then you have some work to do. If your prayer life is even what it was a year ago or six months ago, look at ways to deepen that relationship. Look at ways to enter more deeply into the prayer. And as I've said on this very program before, it's not a question of adding new devotions, of adding new uh, texts, if you will, but it's entering more deeply into the rosary, into the Mass, into the Divine Office, if you uh, have that particular devotion. We, of course, in Carmel do the Divine Office each day. So whatever devotions you may happen to be doing, don't look for new devotions or, or uh, new ways of, uh, 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 of entering into that relationship beyond what you already have, but go deeper into that individual devotion that you already have. This is what Teresa is counseling in this, uh, in this way of perfection. Yes, in fact, that reminds me, a very good friend of mine not long ago told me that um, as an adult, did not realize that you can make pro- uh, progress in your prayer life, as far as that prayer deepens, 
you know, and I, you know, I had to reflect on myself uh, as a young adult. I don't think I knew that either. Yes, we do grow in prayer. There is a progression in prayer, and if we're not making uh, progress in our prayer and seeing it deepen and becoming more meaningful, then there's something wrong. We need to go back and look at that. And it's not just a question of time. We might uh, certainly see benefit in increased time in prayer. If you're spending 15 minutes a day and you move to 30 minutes a day, certainly there's progress. Uh, If you move beyond that to an hour, better still. If you include a daily mass, terrific. Uh, These are important, and they are indications. St. John of the Cross, when we talk about St. John, will teach us uh, very specifically what evidence there will be that we've begun to deepen our prayer. uh, uh, Teresa will say some of that this evening around humility and detachment and so forth. These are objective evidence that, in fact, we've begun to deepen and enter into a more intimate relationship with the Lord. The typical uh, you know, three-story, three-state development process that we talk about, of course, is the purgative, where we begin to move away either from mortal sin or consistent venial sin in our life, and we make this conversion, the metanoia, where we turn back to the Lord. Lent is certainly a good time to begin that process. The second is the illuminative stage, where we begin to get deeper insights into who we are as individuals and who God is, and unfortunately the difference between the two. We talked about this a little bit last week, and Teresa is going to give us great counsel on that this week regarding the, the um, critical element of humility in our prayer life. And of course she then advocates that we move on in the traditional three-stage development into union, into that divine union with the Lord. And very few people, we should be honest, very few people reach this stage uh, while here in this life. Uh, it's most often uh, something that we arrive at in the next stage, if you will, of our existence. And the unfortunate thing, Teresa would say, is most people lack the courage to keep moving. And the courage is not uh, a reflection of the difficulties and trials that we face in our material world, quite frankly. It's those that we begin to face in the interior life as we deepen our prayer experience with the lord and i said last week everything around us everything in our material world everything that is objective and and and, uh material to us is designed to teach us something about the interior life and Teresa says to us very clearly as does saint john of the cross that as people begin to enter into that deeper experience and they are forced to face who they are and who god is That's where we begin to lose courage. And so we need the grace of continual prayer, of deeper prayer, uh, of courage, in in order to move through those stages. Absolutely. I want to talk a a little bit, picking up on the discussion that we started last week with the third alphabet from Francis de Suna, who was uh, uh, one of Teresa's teachers, somebody she read, the third alphabet, third spiritual alphabet. And she took three main teachings from this with regard to advantages or aids in helping her to improve her own prayer life. And I think these are important and worth recognizing. The first, she said, was place. Teresa picked up on this theme and took it all the way back to the hermits in Mount Carmel and said, it's very important that we remain in a place where prayer can be uh, effective, whether that be the cell, which her own nuns, of course, and sisters uh, had the advantage of, or whether we enter into that cell on our own. She recognized the importance of the symbol of place, seeking a place of quiet, seeking a place where we can avoid distractions, and being able, in the material way now, 
being able to find that quiet that we speak about, which is so important to a contemplative life, uh, th- there's so few uh, areas, I think, in our life today, I think most of our listeners would agree, Francis, where we can find that. We're overwhelmed by the busyness of life, by the noise of life, by the uh, input we have from various forms of media and so forth. It's very difficult to find that place where we can find quiet, but it's critical to beginning this process. Absolutely, and I'm reminded in my growth in Carmel of a dear friend, Dr. Richard DeMont, who told me, here I am, a mother with two little kids, and I'm, you know, I, I must have looked pretty frantic and worn out when he saw me, but he reminded me that that cell could be the interior of my heart so that I can go into the interior of my heart in the midst of the busyness on the outward life that I was living and, you know, go in there in prayer, and that was so critical for me to learn that and to hear that, and I pondered that a great deal and how uh, potent that is. Well, once again, listeners, I, I just want to remind you that you are listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. If you do have a question or a comment, you'd like to give us a call, the number is one 333 6279 well, the second thing that Teresa picked up from DeSuna was this idea of companions. And, of course, we in Carmel, Francis, uh, know intimately this uh, need for uh, joining with people and in- engaging in conversation with people who are facing the same challenges likely that we've faced, uh, having spiritual direction and guidance and counsel, because there will be things that will be confusing. Uh, one might wonder, as they begin to deepen their prayer life, why do they enter dry of phases of their prayer life where it appears to them that the Lord is not engaging, that they're not getting the responses that they were receiving in prayer before. And, of course, we know that this is the Lord drawing us into that uh, more intimate relationship, that he's looking for goodwill on our part. He's looking for a deepening of our faith. He wants us to increase our hope, which is nothing more than our desire to find him. And so Teresa emphasized uh, adamantly this idea of companions, and she created her own a little cell of companions made up not only of religious but even of some seculars, uh, folks from the from the business world and so forth, that she would gather with to, to have these conversations. I think she has a lot to teach us about companions. She shares with us the stories of um, when she was in her youth, how poor friendships can have a poor influence on us and the importance of having good friendships to help lead us toward God. And, in fact, she also refers to reading these novels uh, of chivalry and, you know, the knights in shining armor and everything, but, you know, they weren't exactly, you know, the the stuff her father might have approved of, and she would uh, try to hide that from him, I think. But at any rate, she learned from all that that if if your friendships aren't helping you concentrate on God and keeping your focus on Him, like we said in that first prayer, keeping your eyes on Him, then, you know, you need to look at that friendship and reevaluate it. And if they're not coming along with you, then you may have to leave that behind because you, you really need to, to keep your eyes focused on Him. These are the things that will come to us in the illuminative stage, aren't they? The, the idea that uh, activities that we may be involved in, and I'm not talking here necessarily about sinful activities. Those should have already been taken care of in the, in the purgative stage if we have uh, you know, an affinity for alcohol or gambling that's uh, unproductive or what have you. These are obvious. We don't need to really discuss these uh, as regards a deepening of the Christian experience. 
But the illuminative stage begins to reveal those more subtle attachments, if you will, in our life, relationships that are not particularly uh, conducive to advancing our spiritual life. And and, uh, Teresa's adamant, these must be eliminated. You you must break off these relationships or hopefully uh, bring the person along with you in a a, uh, process of conversion. But surrounding yourself with good companions and entering into conversation is a critical piece of that uh, growth. That brings to mind a a conversation I had with a football coach just this past week. And he was saying, well, you really know who your friends are if the friend is out there with you, and he's talking to his football players, if this friend is saying, hey, you know, why don't you just miss practice tonight? You know, you can do without it. Let's go do this, you know. And he says to his guys, but if you have the friend who's saying, you know, you really need to get to practice. You need to learn your plays, you know. And he said, look at that. What kind of friend is that? That is a person who is not selfish, not thinking of what you can do for them and how much fun you can have together for their sake, but they're thinking about what's best for you and helping you to be more disciplined. I thought, oh, that's good. You know, we're on the path here. Exactly. Great example. As I say, it's true in our material, our day-to-day worldly life, and it's true in the spiritual life. The third point that um, Desuna brings out, and Teresa capitalizes on this, is this idea of disposition and preparation. We wouldn't begin a, a, a process of study or, worse yet, enter into a test without adequate preparation. She says, uh, we have to dispose ourselves to prayer. We have to prepare ourselves for this intimate conversation that we're going to have with our Lord. Prayer shouldn't be something where we pop out of bed at uh, whatever hour of the morning. We roll out of bed, maybe onto our knees, or maybe we just sit upright uh, and, and recite a sequence of, of prayers. There's nothing wrong with that in the early stages, but this is Carmelite conversations. We're talking about deepening that relationship and uh, we know that we're reaching for something a little more intimate than the simple recitation of prayer. So we have to have time to prepare. We have to have time to dispose ourselves. We have to have time to remove the distractions that we picked up either uh, in the previous day or if it's late in the afternoon throughout the course of the day. These are aspects of uh, developing that intimate relationship that Teresa's uh, sharing with us and, and says, These three things, and I've gone over them now, place, companions, disposition, and preparation, she emphasizes these are critical if you want to have a successful prayer life. Okay, can I put you on the spot, Mark? Sure. (laughs) All right. How did you last prepare when you were getting ready for this intimate conversation with Christ? Uh, I usually do it through when I have a spot in my home, which uh, affords me some uh, privacy. Uh, which is obviously beneficial. It's at the end of the house, so it's fairly quiet. Uh, I make an effort at at this stage of my life not to watch television. Uh, In fact, it's a Lenten agreement across uh, my whole family. We will not uh, be watching television except for the EWTN uh, movie on Saints on uh, Saturday night. Uh, We try to limit our uh, uh, radio listening, talk radio and so forth, Uh, I try to limit the amount of uh, noise, if you will, that enters into my life. I don't for example, um, uh, other than the most critical news, I'll, I'll, I'll look for what's happening in the world, but I try not to spend a lot of time surfing the web and so forth. And, and oh, that's an easy one to get caught up yeah. in. So, so it's more, as John tells us at the beginning, it's more the nada, nada, nada. It's not so much what you're doing uh, to dispose yourself as what you're not doing so that you can quiet the mind a little bit. But, but in the... 
uh, that, that's, of course, the remote preparation, what we refer to as remote preparation, the things that I do throughout the course of the day to keep myself disposed. And also, and I want to uh, steal the thunder of Brother Lawrence, who we'll cover in a few weeks, but this idea of practicing the presence of God is critically important. Teresa uh, advocates that as well, that well, throughout the course of the day, we become mindful of God's presence. And that's a lot about what that method uh, of recollection is all about. Exactly, exactly. Making sure that we are uh, not only not allowing distractions in, but keeping an awareness of God, uh, that we stand before the the uh, living God throughout the course of the day, that we are uh, in union with him, that we can draw on him as we can the Blessed Mother, on St. Joseph, on the Holy Spirit, uh, for strength, for guidance, for counsel. We should be having at least an hourly, uh, each hour that is, conversation with our Lord. If it's the simple utterance of a of a prayer or just an acknowledgement, Lord, you're there, thank you. Or a look. Uh, or a look uh, to the crucifix or, or what have you, certainly carrying a rosary. These are important things. So all of that throughout the course of the day. The immediate preparation for me is always to ask first that, that the Lord will forgive me for the sins I know that I've committed uh, prior to my entering the, the uh, moment of prayer, and those that I am unaware of, which more often than not I suspect is a longer list for me. Uh, so I'll ask the Lord for his forgiveness. I ask the Blessed Mother, uh, our Mother of Good Counsel, to enter into the prayer with me and to help me and to guide me. And I ask the Holy Spirit to work in me to remove anything that might serve as a distraction. Now, there are formal prayers for uh, this uh, sort of process. Uh, I, I tend to try to do it on my own, so it becomes more of a conversation. Those are my steps for uh, pre- preparing. Well, that's beautiful. That's great. Well, Teresa does the same thing. She advocates that we do the same thing. And the last piece that she took, the bit of advice from DeSuna, was uh, this idea that we've talked about before, knowing that she could make progress in her prayer. And so she says, I did not know how to proceed in prayer or how to become recollected, and so I took much pleasure in his book and decided to follow the path that he had given me with all my strength. Now, one other thing I want to just touch on quickly before the break, Francis, is Teresa's struggle with the imagination. And, and briefly, Teresa explains that she had difficulty early on in her prayer life. She didn't believe that she had a particularly active or creative imagination, and she wasn't able to uh, create images in her mind of Christ in the garden or Christ in various events of his life or the saints, for example. Uh, she struggled with this, and one of the ways she overcame it, she says, I never went into prayer without a book, uh, which gave her sort of the launch into uh, a more imaginative experience at the beginning, the intellectual engagement uh, of, of the imagination. But she became uh, concerned because she was a little bit too tied to this, and she realized she needed to move beyond it. So we're going to talk about, after the break, as soon as we come back, how Teresa discovered a method for moving beyond it. Again, this is Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll see you after the break.
Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. I know there are many Carmelites out there. In fact, we've gotten an email from a number of Carmelites, Francis, who I know listen to us each week, and we certainly appreciate that. Uh, I also know that they have great insights to offer. Uh, they've spent uh, a considerable amount of time both in uh, reading uh, the various saints and in, 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 uh, active prayer life and have no doubt uh, their own perspectives. And I want to reiterate, as I have on a, a number of occasions, uh, we offer our perspective here. We each struggle with our prayer life. You shared your experiences, and I've certainly shared mine. Uh, there, there's no perfect route here, certainly. There's no individual uh, route that works for everyone. And so uh, as we work through this process, we, we value the insights and the counsel that we receive from other members of the community. We talked about the need for spiritual companions and conversation, and we would value those insights or those questions that you might have. Feel free to call again one 866-333-6279. Well, as we made the break, we were talking about uh, Teresa and her use of the imagination. We said that she herself believed that she didn't have a particularly uh, effective or useful uh, tool uh, for imagining, creating images of uh, the experiences in the gospel or, or uh, the letters of the New Testament and so forth. And so she would always use a book in her prayer session, and she got a little hung up in this phase of her prayer life, and I think it's an important teaching for all of us, to where she believed, once she had created these images with whatever success or the use of the the text she was using, uh, that she was linked to that and sort of locked into that experience and wasn't able to move beyond it. And it was only when she got some spiritual counsel that she could, in fact, move beyond the images and the intellectual working uh, of her mind in, in mental prayer into simple quiet, into simple reflection, into recollection, into just sitting and being in the presence of the Lord. Uh, and I'd ask you, for any of you who have been in, uh, uh, as we've talked about on a number of occasions in previous uh, programs, uh, in a, uh, a very intimate relationship with another person isn't the highest form of that intimacy. Ultimately, just the quiet sitting on the back porch on a summer night or on the shores of the ocean, and no words are actually necessary at that point, are they, Francis? Right. And that's what Teresa is advocating here, is that ultimately our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ has to go beyond certainly the recitation of formal prayers, even beyond the mental processing of the imaging and so forth. These are important and useful. And she never suggests that we abandon them, but she's advocating in this moving beyond the imagination uh, that we go to something deeper, which we'll talk about uh, uh, much more in detail when we, when we speak about Elizabeth of the Trinity, who is this, the, uh, the uh, saint in Carmel, uh, blessed but nonetheless for us a saint uh, of silence. She has so much to teach us about silence. But Teresa advocates the same thing, that we want to get to that intimate, one-to-one, uh, affective-with-the-heart relationship with our Lord and Savior. Now, the three uh, areas that I focused on a moment ago, place, companion, and disposition or preparation, uh, were the things that she got from Desuna. But Teresa had three of her own that she also thought were critically important as she began to develop her prayer life. And those three were what she referred to as love, and there are two phases of the love. Of course, there's the normal love that we'd be familiar with, human love, uh, worldly love. Nothing wrong with it, of course, but she has a spiritual love she wants to talk to us about, and I'm going to ask Francis to take us through that. But just quickly, the other two are detachment, 
uh, and we'll talk about detachment both from a worldly sense and in the context of spiritual poverty, and then humility. And we'll spend the balance of our time here together this evening, I think, talking about these three most critical uh, elements of prayer for Teresa. So, Francis, if you would, share with us a little bit about what, again, I think we're comfortable with the idea of love in the worldly sense, but what is Teresa teaching us about spiritual love? Well, I think the spiritual love is that the love is um, coming from the love you have for God and then spills over to the love for others. But what does that look like in practice? Well, um, it can be a very strong love, um, but it's not happy unless it sees others making progress in the love of God. And she contrasts this with um, the love in which there's no evil affection, um, but which is still okay to have. Like, you might have grief that you feel over another's misfortune, but a spiritual love would immediately want to consider, is this trial good for this person or not? Because, you know, sometimes, especially as a parent, wouldn't you say, Mark, that we want to protect our children from all those falls, from those disappointments in life, and yet the wisdom of a parent also can say there are some great lessons in there. Yeah, the, the classic story, of course, is the young child is going to place their hand on uh, a hot object. Obviously, we wouldn't let them do it on something that's going to uh, seriously injure them, but uh, we know as a parent, we know that uh, allowing them to experience a little discomfort uh, is perhaps the better lesson than ours every time pulling the hand away and then perhaps on an occasion when we're not there, uh, they do in fact incur a serious injury. And, and in the spiritual life, uh, because we are uh, somewhat clouded uh, of the spiritual principles and the things that we might need to go through, we'll talk about that as we go through humility, but the challenges and the trials that begin to happen in the interior, we oftentimes are not aware of it, and we're wondering what the Lord might be doing to us. But in fact, the Lord is loving us more deeply in that moment. He's allowing us to be children, and He's being parent in, hmm. in helping us to get through that difficult time. I think that's an occasion where we get to see who God is and who we are and who we are not. <laughs> exactly. Another element of this spiritual love and practice would be that the person who has this love would rather suffer the trial itself, than see the other person suffer. And I think a lot of parents can commiserate with that feeling. Yeah, there's not an instance I can imagine, but both my wife and I talk about this, where we see our children going through a particular trial where we wouldn't say uh, we would change places with them in a minute. We take on that trial. We had the benefit of you know, some years of experience and a fair uh, uh, road of trial behind us, so we, we oftentimes feel like uh, we're in a position to take that on better, but uh, I think that's so true that we look at the other person and say, uh, as we look at Christ and say, I want to take on my share of the burden. I want to lift my uh, portion of the cross. I love the image of Simon. Uh, I've used this many times, and I love this image of Simon having to bear his fair share of the burden of the cross, though he did it reluctantly. We have to acknowledge this. He did it reluctantly initially, but we have to recognize that as Simon grasped one side of the cross, he not only suffered the indignity of the of the continual whipping and and the dirt and the spit and so forth that was being cast at Christ. Simon suffered all of that, but he also had to get into a rhythm with Christ, didn't he? He had to get to the point where he could move back and forth in the same rhythm that Christ was moving if they were going to be successful. Two had now become one, trying to move this cross up the hill. 
And, of course, we know by the time he got to the top of that hill, Simon was converted. And we have to look to Simon as a model for that in, in our own life as we bear our crosses. That's a great insight. Well, another practical instruction on this is if you're the parent here, you're loving your child, and they're messing up, um, we have to see and be compassionate enough to understand that this is big in their eyes. And yet for us, we know maybe it's not a big thing. And so where we can grow in our love is to realize that this can be very distressful for others. And yet be compassionate um, and, and think of the stage at where we were the weakest. And then thank God for this opportunity to try to uh, reach down and help others and to recognize our own weakness because we had been there and that we could be there tomorrow in a heartbeat. Um, so it, it's another opportunity. And then the other thing she says um, and on a practical application about this spiritual love is to try to love everybody with the same kind of love. Now, that doesn't mean you love everybody equally, but you love each other each person uniquely. Of course, some people are naturally going to be more appealing to you, and so it's easier to love them. Uh, But she's saying, you know, sometimes we get caught up with what we see outwardly. You know, say they're a very beautiful person outwardly, and, you know, they're humorous, and you've got all these wonderful characteristics, Uh, and sometimes we get caught up on that surface stuff, and we we miss the, the inside. So she's asking us, to, you know, look interiorly, to love each person where they're at, for who they are, and with the mind of Christ. And she thinks of, um, she's got a story about her brother. Do you remember the story about her brother? Um, she, she wasn't too fond of this brother. He caused a lot of trouble, in fact. And yet, she would say how much, how important it was, you know, for her to try to love him, because um, she had. She recognized she had very little love for him. In fact, she was very distressed about it. And she said, um, if he were not my brother at all but only my neighbor, I ought to be moved by his need. And yet, I feel most uncharitable towards him. So, and here's the practical application. She says, I try to get over this feeling by reminding myself of what I ought to do to please God. And once his majesty enters into it, I find I would go to any lengths to help him. Were it not for that, I assure you, I would not do a thing to help this brother. So, I mean, isn't that a good example? That, that's exactly the point, I think, this idea of loving in a great de- uh, is, a, is not a great delight, she says, in many cases. But I, as you suggested, she said, I desire to please God in everything, even the small things. In fact, most importantly, the small things. St. Therese of Lisieux, of course, was the great saint of the small things, the small details. And she said all the small details add up to the larger detail of do we really love? If we can't love in the small things, then we won't be able to love in the larger details of our life. And don't we know those small things can be really irritating and annoying? So Teresa says, you know, about those things, she says, oh, and this one really got me this week, Mark, suffer the faults of others, recommend them to God, and practice the opposite virtue. You know, if we can't patiently suffer annoyances with other people, what does that say about our charity? Yeah. Oh, boy. Francis de Sales, I have a devotion to Francis de Sales, and I read a, a, a small uh, teaching from him each day, and usually it hits me right between the eyes, and this one often does, uh, where he says, you have a desire to do great things for the Lord, and yet you can't do the little things. You know, it's the impatience with your children or the impatience with 
issues in uh, in uh, your ministry or whatever it might be. It's those things that topple us. It's not often we usually have enough strength and courage and preparation to take on the big things. It's the little things, and in fact, this is a great uh, trial for many of the saints as they as they deepen that relationship with the Lord. Uh, it's oftentimes the little things that will trip them up. And so great love is found in the execution of doing small things for God and doing them well. But the capstone comment here, I think, Francis, is we have to recognize none of us can do this on our own. This is ultimately the work of the Lord in us. We have to rely on him. We have to dispose ourselves to allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us. Uh, Developing great love is something we make an effort at, and we fail constantly. Failure is part of the Christian walk. It's the recognition in humility that we have to become dependent on God. And he is our strength. And we must keep our eye on him, just like that opening prayer. Keep your eye on the Lord. Well, we're talking about Teresa Vavila, the way of perfection. We've got two more topics on detachment and humility, but I do want to remind you again, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. If you'd like to be part of the program or you have a comment, a question, please feel free to give us a call at 1-866-333-6279. Well, let's tackle detachment for a minute, Francis. This is one I think oftentimes trips us up as well. Uh, It's misunderstood or or perhaps misrepresented. Uh, But again, let's begin with this distinction. There's material detachment from the things of the world, which are both uh, the material objects in our life, as well as those activities we may be involved in and so forth. And then there's spiritual detachment, or what in the Beatitudes refer to as uh, a spirit of poverty, the adoption of a spirit of poverty. Uh, poverty of spirit um, is um, what we know David ultimately practiced, and we can talk about David in the context of the wealthy man, who, though he was a man who possessed many things, still had a spirit of detachment, uh, of poverty. And the great uh, uh, teaching in this is, uh, or the great, I guess, uh, uh, determining factor as to whether you are able to, in fact, practice spiritual poverty, is if those things that you claim to have become detached from, be they your automobile or your clothing or uh, your house or what have you, when they uh, perhaps uh, incur damage or you lose them, if you remain calm, if you remain, uh, in fact, detached, then you've begun to develop that deeper sense of a spirit of poverty. Detachment is a practice, of course, of asceticism, or what the Greeks referred to as exercise, and effective detachment, both in the material world and in the spiritual world, leads to recollection, because we are no longer overwhelmed in the beginning stages of our efforts to recollect our heart and our mind by those distractions, those things that enter into our mind. Um, you had something at the beginning of the show we talked about that Teresa teaches us about worrying and not not becoming uh, concerned about material wealth, material goods. Do you remember that reference? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. Okay. I would never have asked a question. I didn't know the answer to <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, she says the, uh, the, the, the important thing, and I'm going to paraphrase this a bit, but she says the important thing about uh, her or nuns living in the convent is, um, we must dispense with our concern about money. We must dispense with our concern about our material uh, uh, security and so forth. And our failure to do so uh, will leave us 
unable to enter into a spirit of poverty and unable to practice recollection. And she's simply saying here that the process of recollection uh, presumes that we have begun to detach ourselves, certainly from the material things of our life. Her sisters had certainly done that, but also from the spiritual. But the lesson that David, King David, has to teach us is, even though we may be living in uh, uh, a well-to-do position, we may have many possessions and wealth, we still have to be spiritually detached from those. And as I say, the evidence of that will come to us when uh, we lose something that's of great value or we uh, witness something being damaged or, or uh, injured in some way. And how we react to that experience will help us to understand the depth of our spiritual poverty. You know, that reminds me of when people lose all their household belongings, like in a household fire, and they're just so grateful to be alive. It's, it's such a reminder to me about the importance of knowing what is most important, you know, their lives, as opposed to all these belongings. And, of course, if you have a yacht and a cottage out in the woods or along the lake and all that stuff, you know, you're worried about, you know, securing them, insuring them, taking care of them, cleaning them. A big house, when we got a bigger house, I was like, oh, there's so much more to clean. You know, so I'm kind of bumming about that part, you know. I mean, I like the big house, but I don't like the cleaning. So. Well, it's actually the next uh, experience that we'll typically have that is an indication to us that we have begun to become successful in this uh, spiritual poverty is we'll look at, if we are uh, um uh, someone who possesses many things or has responsibility for many things, will begin to look at them with, with a bit of a, a jaundice eye as a burden, as a trial, as uh, something that's detracting from our effort to enter into a deeper spiritual life. And we'll see our responsibilities, not necessarily our work or family responsibilities, but our responsibilities for maintaining and caring for the things that we have as uh, detracting from, as I say, our spiritual walk with the Lord. And that's an indication to us that we've begun to enter into a genuine sense of spiritual poverty. We're not attached to these things anymore. We're not attached to the, to the material things, and that helps us enter into a spiritual detachment. I know. I have to interrupt here with this story. Teresa was saying how she says, I'm laughing, but she's also distressed about some of the things that the people were coming to the convent and asking them to pray for. She says, they're asking us to ask His Majesty for wealth and money. And this is done by persons who I wish would ask him for the grace to trample everything underfoot. Yeah, this is where we actually began the program, and I said so often, and, and uh, uh, we hope, of course, that our listeners uh, w- would uh, w- would enter into the, the to the message that Teresa is sharing with us. It's a difficult message at times, but she's saying we enter into prayer, and the prayer begins with us and moves to the Lord. And, and the great story here is uh, uh, Magdalene, after uh, Mary Magdalene, when she sees the Lord after the resurrection. And, of course, we know the story that she, she reaches out to hold him and to grab him. She wants to uh, latch on to him, and, and Christ says, No, no, I have not yet ascended to my Father. And what we're, what we're led to understand there is that it's no longer, our prayer life should no longer be about bringing God, bringing the Lord Jesus Christ into our lives, to console us and to fix the things in our life. Certainly he does that, and he brings us consolation, and he brings us a comfort, he provides us our material goods. But what Christ is saying is, no, I have ascended, or in this case he's about to ascend, but once he's ascended, I have ascended, and I want you to join me. I want you to come up to where I am. Don't continue to try to bring me down. Again, I, I uh, strongly advocate that we pray for the needs in our life. 
But what the Lord is trying to teach us through the simple consolations and the material uh, provisions that he gives us in this world are, I will meet all your needs, but our relationship together is my drawing you up into my world, not you drawing me back into your world. I need you to realize that our relationship is one of intimacy and love, but that my side of this equation uh, is glory and, and peace and joy and all the things that we truly desire in our interior and our spirit, and the Lord is trying to draw us up into that world, and hence the need for the practice of asceticism, the practice of exercising uh, the, uh, the desires that we have in such a way that they lead us to Christ, not that they uh, detract from our relationship with him. Well, I want to make sure that we take a little time to cover humility, because quite frankly, as uh, St. Teresa tells us, it is the most critical aspect of her prayer life. She believes that she would not uh, have been successful in her prayer life had she not realized the importance of humility. She talks, in fact, early on in her life, uh, she says that the, the life being the book, the entire foundation of prayer must be established in humility. And she realized this when uh, she came to the conversion and the revelation in her own walk with the Lord, that what she was really trying to do was both please herself to some degree and please the people in her life, that her faith walk had simply become another means of uh, capitalizing on her very natural abilities, her very vivacious and outgoing personality and all the attributes that she was blessed with uh, in the material world were simply manifesting themselves in her spiritual life in such a way that she was using her faith, her, her, her uh, life in the convent, uh, to carry on uh, her desire to be uh, wanted and accepted and so forth. And when she came to that realization and realized humility was the core uh, of her uh, progress, what would be her progress in prayer life, uh, that's what changed her life fundamentally and her prayer life. Well, didn't she say somewhere that the definition of humility is truth? And that truth is knowing who we are and who God is? That, that is. I don't know if she said that specifically. I couldn't find the quote, but uh, that is, of course, the definition of humility. It's the truth. It's the reality of who we are in relation to God and who God is in relation to us and what it is that he's called us to. Let me say something about the importance of humility. And again, I said in the illuminative stage, we begin to understand who we are and we begin to understand who God is. These are painful, oftentimes, experiences, no matter who you are. We are a fallen creature. We know this. It's the consequence of original sin. We've added to it through our own failures and our own uh, selfishness. It's simply the human experience. We shouldn't become discouraged by it. But we do get discouraged, don't we? we? So we we have to watch out for that because that discouragement is not a good thing. It isn't a good thing. In fact, it's the other side of the lack of humility, isn't it? Because, uh, and Teresa tells us this, she says, uh, don't become discouraged, don't despair, because it's simply the absence yet again of humility. It's a spiritual, a, a form of spiritual pride where we can't really accept that we are as failed a creature and as fallen a creature as we are, and so we enter into despair, and she counsels against that. Humility being truth means that as we enter the illuminative stage and God begins to reveal to us through largely the sacrament of reconciliation uh, and an ongoing examination of conscience, which is something uh, we in Carmel advocate that is done every day before we retire at night. We should spend a few minutes yes. reflecting on our day, looking at our failures, accepting them, dealing with them, and committing to the Lord one that will do our best to overcome them, and then asking His mercy to help us overcome them. 
So this idea of humility, critically important for Teresa. Uh, she says, in fact, no saint was ever created without temptation. No saint was ever created without falling. And the reality of it is that those falls, those failures, those revelations of our sinfulness are what lead us to seek God's mercy. It's those very failures. So many people, I think, Francis, fall into this trap of thinking, okay, I've begun a spiritual walk. Now I've deepened my prayer life. I'm spending more time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I'm attending more Masses. I should start to be a good person. Mm -hmm. And then, inevitably, they have a fall, and they become discouraged. And I said earlier that Teresa tells us it's the lack of courage that turns so many souls back. Well, this is the point of battle, if you will. This is the point of contact with the enemy, where we have to fall back on humility, accept the truth of our fallen nature, seek God's mercy and reconciliation, realize that sin is this deficiency, not so much in our day-to-day actions as in our heart, which simply manifests itself in our day-to-day actions, be they words, actions, what have you. In fact, Christ says, uh, that which proceeds out of the man, i.e. out of his heart, that is what defiles the man. It's not the action itself. We're actually already forgiven for the action. It's the deficiency of love in our own heart that calls for an act of humility, a, a desire for uh, reconciliation with the Lord, and seeking his mercy. And that's what Teresa teaches us about humility, the importance of humility in our life. And I think on a very practical application, we can say how many times we're saying, I, 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 instead of God, God, God. You know, if we rely on him, he is our strength, then we're not going to be saying all these I statements so much. Yeah, I think that's it. And again, going back to the very beginning of our of our discussion here this evening, as we wrap up, uh, prayer must begin with the Lord. And the Lord comes into our life, yes, but only to draw us into his life. We we certainly can seek what we need in our life in, in consolation and support. But what the experience of prayer, as Teresa teaches us in the way, is really all about is drawing us into Christ's life and helping Christ love that other person through us, help us to practice detachment, and help us to really achieve that truth through humility that we seek in reconciliation. And to receive his love and reflect it to others. Exactly. I heard a wonderful uh, analogy of the Blessed Mother, who we're going to close on a prayer with, uh, that she is the moon reflecting the light of the sun. And I think that's such a beautiful symbol for us to close with this evening. Yes. Well, let me read this uh, prayer to you, to. uh, 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 regarding the Immaculate uh, Heart of Mary. Sorrowful and Immaculate Heart of Mary, dwelling pure and holy, cover our souls with your maternal protection, so that being ever faithful to the voice of Jesus, we may respond to his love and obey his divine will in all things. Well, I want to thank all of our listeners for being with us. I want to remind you of a program note. We won't be here next week. There will be a mission Uh, being preached, but we will be with you the following week, and we'll pick up again on Teresa and the Way of Perfection. Thank you all for joining us.